I don't think that doing takeaway is the answer. I don't think that, that doing veggie boxes or groceries is the answer because if everyone's doing takeaway and everyone's doing veggie boxes and everyone's doing groceries, then what's what's your point of difference? What do you stand for? What's, what's the reason why people are gonna come to you? This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Earlier in the series, Duncan Velgamut explained that many operators that were behind financially have either used the shutdown to close down, or worse, closed down for good because the damage was too much to recover from. It's a tragic situation, but for the operators that were on top of their finances, will it herald a new dawn for hospitality quicker than expected? Joel Valvasori is one of Perth's leading chefs, and he's owner of Perth's Lulu La Delizia. Joel, how are you going? Great, thanks, mate. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us, um, making a Perth debut for us on the series. And uh, would love if you could just start by giving us a picture of what the pandemic's been like in Perth. Look, I think uh, it's the one time people won't make fun of us for being so far away from everyone. Um, so I think Perth's held up relatively well, minus a few uh, cruise ships and the occasional sheep ship or whatever that's managed to bring in a lot of cases. I think uh, I think we've uh, you know fought through it pretty well. Uh, I think uh, most people have have done their part um, to you know to shut things down and, and help stop the stop the spread, which has been good. Um, and hopefully, uh, I guess our government continues to do the right things with regards to, um, you know, how, how they, uh, uh, you know, maintain border control um, and, uh, you know, not, not make any silly decisions that uh, can force us to go backwards. Let's go back to sort of that sort of fateful week for the industry when the government sort of announced that the restaurants had to close down except for takeaway. You know, what was the immediate impact for you? Well, we we had started off uh, 2020 in in quite a strong fashion. Um, I was I was shocked because every every year you sort of go, well, I don't, I don't know if we can, uh, I don't know if we can do better than uh, than last year. But the the year started off strong, um, and you know we're, we're very positive. Um, the few weeks leading up uh, were. were surprisingly strong as well even though there were murmurs and and so on there was starting to be reports of you know things happening and the spread and so on we were still having um you know very strong weeks which was which was quite promising until that final week um before the shutdown and then that was when you immediately noticed you know a huge drop in uh in clientele um and come uh you know i mean we'd we'd spent weeks planning and strategizing on how how we would uh you know how we would change and survive this um you know i think we got to about 11:30 in the morning on the day uh before square meter rule came in um so it was a friday just before lunchtime, we packed up our computers. I was jumping back into uh, into do service uh, with the guys, and I think at eleven forty-five they announced the four square meter rule. 
um, effective immediately. And, you know, we're a small 50-seat restaurant um, and we were essentially fully booked for lunch. Um, so luckily for us, it was a, it was a beautiful uh, Perth day and we have uh, quite a large uh, alfresco sort of piazza available to us. Um, out the front so we just threw all of our tables out into the middle of the piazza um, and then uh, and then traded all of Friday essentially outside with I think we had about oh, I think it was 11 people inside we were allowed at the time um, and yeah we traded that Friday and Saturday um, yeah with with good weather um, and there, there seemed to be a bit of a party atmosphere um, going I think people kind of saw the writing on the wall then um, but that time, you know, leading into lunchtime and then all of a sudden ha having to, uh, having to dismantle your restaurant and go, how the fuck are we going to do this? Um, yeah, that was, that was a, <laughs> that was a tough day. Um, yeah. And going into the, into the, the Sunday after, obviously, um, I caught up with, uh, with a few other restaurant owner friends. Um, and I think at that stage we were hoping, uh, for a full shutdown, um, because we could see that it wasn't going to work. Um, you know, we're, we're geared, we're geared to do, you know, 600, our, our restaurant personally, we're geared to do, you know, 600 plus covers a week, you know, we've got, 24 staff on the books or had 24 staff on the books at the time um you know so you're trying to protect them you're trying to protect their their wages their health uh you know everything their livelihoods um and you could see that it wasn't going to be possible and you couldn't just single out a few people to look after you know you wanted to look after everyone so that was probably the hardest bit going into it what was the impact? What was the decisions that you made early on to get through the the period? Um, look, you know, we, we had we had a couple of well, we had several contingencies going into it, but they kind of all went out the window as soon as the four square meter rule um, was announced, um, and then we didn't know what to do. Um, we didn't want to jeopardise our product. Um, which is our handmade pasta. Um, it, you know, it's it's not the kind of thing that's going to travel well. I think most takeaways at least thirty percent worse than what you'd what you'd get in the shop. And I think uh, you know our pasta would probably be, you know, a good a good forty to fifty percent worse having it in takeaway as well. So we really resisted uh, against that, and the contingency came uh, became more about you know, shutting down things, shutting down, putting on hold, um, you know, contracts, uh, you know, loans, accounts, things like that, rent and, and so on. Um, you know, so that's what sort of the first couple of weeks of, of being shut was, was, was dealing with all the back of house still. Um, you know, there were still lots of things to manage like that. What sort of financial position were you in leading into the pandemic and did that allow you to cope with the shutdown during that first period? Yeah, like we, we've, we've uh, you know, my, my wife, my partner manages uh, the accounts um, side of the business among other things. Um, that's, that's one of her 
really strong points. Um, so, you know, I, I deal with cash coming in. She deals with cash going out. Um, and yeah, we, we, you know, were in a strong enough position, um, you know, and, and up to date on, on, you know, a lot of our accounts and things like that to, um, you know, to be able to, to weather that storm. Um, and it was more a question of how long will this go on for as to how much do we have in, in our reserves to be able to, um, you know, to be able to absorb uh, some of it. You know, there's there's the cash that you lose and then there's the missed opportunity as well, um, which, you know, <laughs> if you miss an opportunity to to make money, then, uh, you know, that that becomes a, another problem as well. So, yeah, it was about trying to judge how far this was going to go on, watching, you know, the statistics and so on that were coming out with regards to community trans transmission and, um, you know, how the government would respond, uh, the language the government was using and stuff, and then trying to make your decisions and, and, um, and your forward planning on what you were seeing. Um, the unfortunate thing was that every time that we planned something, <laughs> uh, based, based on where we thought it was going, the government came out and did something different and uh, we had to go back to the drawing board every time. So um, luckily we had plenty of time to do it. You know, it's um, it's pretty well known, certainly within the industry at least, that you know profit margins are very slim in hospitality. You know, have you got concerns for this, the state of the majority of businesses out there haven't gone into the pandemic and sort of what may eventuate if they weren't as financially sound as perhaps you were at that time? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Um, we've, we've continually adapted our business, you know, obviously over the last few years we've had lots of uh, wage things going around and, and so on that um, I think restaurants have, have had to adapt to. Um, certainly wasn't the case while I, while I was coming through, um, and, and, you know, building my career that, uh, you know, there was, uh, wage fairness and so on. Um, but it's certainly something that we now have to, um, to deal with, uh, as business owners. Um, so that's probably going to be the, the biggest thing, um, going forward. The unfortunate thing that comes with COVID kind of works against that in that we're going to lose a lot of job security as a result as well um so yeah i i, I don't know how the industry can get around it and survive i think certain restaurants can um but the industry as a whole is gonna have to make some um, big changes and i think yeah i think we'll see a lot of doors uh, needing to close um, because you know businesses will be getting hit from from both sides. Your restaurant is, um, as you were saying, sort of it's quite small, a fifty seater, and you've got you know twenty four staff, and it's very elbow to elbow, and it's about atmosphere, and um, you know that doesn't really work in a pandemic. You know, have you had you know different thoughts about your restaurant model moving forward because of this situation? Uh, yeah, um, if we can make it summer or all year round, then that would be good. Um, so maybe global warming's the way to go. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'd, it's it's a tough one. Um, we we still have to, you know, like we, we've got it. We've got a, a, a very good product um, that's in that's in good high demand. Um, I have no doubt that if if uh, if they lift restrictions further um, here, that we will be able to return our business to some sort of normality. Um, but and and you know it's. At the moment, obviously, we've got JobKeeper. Um, it is, you know, quite manageable with the restrictions that are in place now. We're at a two square meter rule now, um, so you know we make a couple of little adjustments. You know, we might have to invest in some um, more, you know, outdoor covering and, and things like that to um, to be able to stretch out further into into our our courtyard. Um, and so on. Um, they're the kind of adjustments that that we're looking at, um, and not so much about um, the the product or or those other aspects of um, you know of our business model that make it work. Um, I think I think a lot of a lot of your your ability to to adapt and and move forward. Um, should have already been in your thoughts throughout your whole, uh, you know, throughout your whole business working. You know, you have to, uh, as a business owner, you have to be looking at your business and working on your business every day, every week. You know, this is this is not the new normal. This is just what running a <laughs> running a business is. Um, and if you weren't doing that and you were sitting on your hands leading up to it, then you're really going to be struggling to come up with ideas um, and you're going to start clutching at straws on, on how to um, improve your business uh, or, or remodel your business coming out of it. I don't think that like doing, I don't think that doing takeaway is the answer. I don't think that, that doing veggie boxes or groceries is the answer. Um, because if everyone's doing takeaway and everyone's doing veggie boxes and everyone's doing groceries, then what's what's your point of difference? What do you stand for? What's what's the reason why people are going to come to you and not to the other fifty restaurants that are all attempting the same model? You know, you have to look back at what what you do as a restaurant and what makes you special. Well, let's have a look at that. Um, you know, you brought, you sort of mentioned your beautiful handmade pasta. Um, can you tell us a bit of a brief history and the story behind, you know, your family and pasta and your cooking history? I guess just as a, as our family, we just you know <laughs> we grew up eating a lot of pasta. Um, it's not necessarily strictly uh, a big part of the the region that we're from, but. Our family's also been in Australia since, you know, 1950. So um, our family's cuisine is already an adaptation of uh, of their own regional cuisine, um, but also based on being in Australia and using products that were available to them in Australia, but also the influences that, that come from being an, an immigrant family in amongst other immigrant families... Uh, in a faraway land um, so yeah they've already done a fair bit of the adaptation for us there 
um, and now we take a, a step further um, in our delivery. Uh, you know, we, we call our food immigrant food. We, we don't really call ourselves an Italian restaurant, so to speak, um, because we take a lot of these aspects of our family's cuisine, of the, the original regional cuisines, um, and then we reflect them uh, onto the, uh, you know, well, the West Australian, but the Australian dining public um, based on how we think they would like to eat it. Can you tell us a bit about the region that your family originally came from and um, and give us some examples of the dishes that you're sort of translating in uh, Western Australia from, the, from that region? Yeah, okay. Um, we're, the family's from um, Friuli, Venezia, Giulia, up in the, in the top uh, eastern corner of, um, of Italy. Um, uh, you know, borders Austria, borders Slovenia and the Veneto region as well. Um, so it's, uh, I guess, as you travel across, uh, across the region itself, you get a mix of those other cultures throughout the cuisine. And as you head towards, we're, we're, we're more towards the Western border, which is towards the Veneto border. Um, so we probably have a little bit more in the way of a Venetian um, influence as well in our, in our side of the cuisine. Um, you know, we there's a range. It goes from, you know, polenta and meatballs over to, you know, sausages and, and sauerkraut or bravada, which is, you know, pickled fermented turnips, which are essentially the, uh, the same idea as sauerkraut, but, you know, lots of horseradish and um, lentils, legumes, things like that, lots of bitter leaves and... Um, you know, sharp vinegars and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's it's quite a quite an interesting dynamic cuisine and and one that's um, not explored terribly heavily uh, in Australia. Um, but yeah, we, so we you know we take aspects of that. We take aspects of of modern cuisine. Um, we take uh, you know just the great produce that we have. Uh, around um, you know lots of seafood and stuff like that and um, you know probably just use little flecks of of our heart um, and um, you know use that to to transform uh, these products into an Australian Italian uh, you know uh, beauty you know, <laughs> or delight as we call them what are some of the local Western Australian uh, produce that you've being able to weave into what you do at the restaurant. Yeah, um, you know, I guess I guess a couple of the couple of big ones that are you know hugely popular are the the West Australian Marin um, from you know down uh, Pemberton Way and so on. Um, you know, a lot a lot of people you know like to just serve Marin all the time with you know butter and truffle and so on um you know we we work them into some of our um more traditional sort of pasta sauces we've got one um called ala buzara which is you know you sort of find that in in um around the i guess the the ocean side the adriatic side uh of of Friuli, all the way down the adriatic coast you know down into croatia um, and it's, yeah, yeah, well, there's different versions of it, but, you know, one that we do is a sort of tomato saffron kind of sauce. 
um, you know, we we do things like that. We serve it with gnocchi. Um, you know, when when we get hold of truffles, we we treat the truffles quite simply and let them sort of speak for themselves and just put it with a backdrop of of one of our you know beautiful hand cut pastas or or something. Um, we we try not to get too playful. Um, I guess that's it's not just the way we want to go but it's also a symptom of well not a symptom it's a, um, a reflection of what our customers uh, respond well to you know when i when i rang you recently to appear on the show i think you were up a ladder with a hammer or something or a screwdriver fixing something um <laughs> explaining to me that you know this is the life of a, a chef and restaurateur now um what have you been doing differently in this period to leading up to reopening the restaurant well, one like we, we've always considered our restaurant to be quite a a, a warm uh, space, but once you take the people out of it, it becomes less warm. And I'm talking, I'm not like talking heat warm. I'm talking warm, warm in uh, comfort and feel. Um, you know, so we've you know just done little bits and pieces, putting up you know more trinkets, more shells wine bottles bloody bunches of bay leaves things like that um you know but also adapted you know certain parts of our restaurants and stuff to accommodate uh you know some of these changes and stuff so you know you, you spend half your time with a with a tape measure in your hand measuring what's two square meters what's bloody four square meters what's one and a half meters between tables um and all that business and the other half with a with a drill uh you know screwing unscrewing shit moving it around um you know changing tabletop sizes and you know doing whatever you have to do but yeah to be honest i i have barely stepped in the kitchen uh you know i stepped in the kitchen for the first time for an ala- for our first a la carte service last night um and it fucking felt great um but yeah up until now it's been a lot of time in the computer on, on the computer a lot of time with with a drilling hand um you know making plans and and uh executing plans what was it like uh when you opened the doors again and you had guests in but did it feel different to you know, pre-pandemic. Or? Yeah, well, the first the first three weeks, um, we traded. We we knew we couldn't give you Lulu's uh, proper. You know, we couldn't give you the experience. We couldn't give you the atmosphere, um, and we weren't sure. Um, you know how we could secure enough. Uh, enough revenue to to make it worthwhile so we ran the first three weeks with um we we did uh osteria lulu and we did a, a different concept we did a menu of the day um set price and so on um we we could only you know seat sort of 14 people uh inside um or something at the time so we did three sit-ins per night we had some some tables outside and stuff as well um so we could do 60 people a night um whereas you know we're we're used to doing 100 plus per night so it didn't feel right it wasn't you know it was prep heavy but it wasn't it wasn't tricky service wise um, it was great. We had a, such a great response from all of our um, regular customers, um, and you know, the Osteria did did what it needed to do, but it wasn't right um, for us. 
uh, wasn't right for, for the space and so on. Luckily, the restrictions lifted to a two-metre square rule this week, which is where we went right now. Now we think we can, we can give you a better version of Lulu's and we can give you our a la carte menu um, and so on. So as much as we're not trading back at our, our, at our normal level, we thought we could do a lot more with it. Um, so now we're getting, you know, either the same customers back that want to come and eat all the stuff that they couldn't eat while we were doing the Osteria. Um, and we've got a lot of other people coming back as well that, you know, really wanted to come back and eat our, eat my nonna's meatballs or, you know, our teleotele or our spaghetti with clams or something, you know, like all, all the things that people have been missing. Um, so yeah, it, it felt good to be, felt good to be, you know, back last night. Um, yeah, I, I, there, I think there are a couple of points where I where I may have had a, a little bit of water welling in my eye. I noticed in the last couple of weeks when you did open uh, that John Lethlene came in to eat. What, what was it like having a renowned restaurant critic in the restaurant in that period? Uh, yeah, well, John, I, I think John's been here, you know, enough times. He knows... He knows uh, and obviously enjoys what what we are. Um, I, of course, it didn't it, it wouldn't have felt right to him because he's used to being in, in the room when there's a hundred people you know floating around, um, and he's used to it being loud and so on. Um, so yeah, of course it was different. But this you know this is a symptom of of the of the restrictions. What we needed to do for everybody coming back and I think this is a really big thing for every restaurant operator is we need to get back and remember what hospitality is you know what what are the what are the key things that make up hospitality you've got all these people coming back that want to see you they want to congratulate you you know and so on um and you've had all this time where you couldn't serve people. And if you're in it for the, for the right reasons in the first place, remember that hospitality was the right reason and it's all about serving uh, people, making people's experiences um, as, as good as they can be. Um, and I think that's the most important thing coming out. So whether you're dealing with John Lethlane or, or any other person... <laughs> that's that's what you're there for that's what you got to give them and and hopefully you know that's what what people will will respond to during the time when your restaurant was shut and there was sort of the uncertainty of it reopening you know what what were you missing about what you do with your own restaurant well if anyone follows my instagram account i did a fair bit of cooking not necessarily cooking pasta um but I did a fair bit of cooking in my wood-fired oven um, and every time that I cooked, I managed to cook for about 20 people, <laughs> but I only had my wife and my two kids to cook for um, and, you know, the amount of times that we thought, oh, we should get that person over. Oh, we should, you know, I oh, can't even have the play next door neighbours over, you know, like <laughs> that was, that was, that was a very hard thing to do um, is to... Um, adjust to the life of, of not not being able to cook for people you know <laughs> can still cook for pleasure but you can't cook for people what's some of the positives to come out of this for you i think we ha- I, you know we had a great we had a great 
amount of time for family, um, you know, to spend with the kids. Um, I was home every night for, you know, for for a good long while, and the kids have never had that. Um, they'd be lucky if I, if you know, if they had me two to three nights a week for for their whole lives. Um, so that was uh, that was really good. Um, I guess it, you know, you had a chance to start a few things that uh, you'd been putting off uh, for a long time. Um, and I guess there's just a big reality check, um, for us as well. Just, just as people, what are we doing? What are we doing it for? Um, what's, what's important? Um, you know, they're, they're probably the biggest things that we got out of it. What do you hope, uh, emerges in the hospitality sector moving forward, um, after this, after we get to the other side of this, I, I think that you know, hopefully, there's a lot of uh, correction uh, with within the industry on on lots of fronts. But I guess one of the main things is is that um, you know people think a lot longer and harder about opening restaurants um, and what's involved, how it's going to happen and so on. And, and hopefully from that, we end up with a better, um, a better product, a better hospitality scene going forward. Um, I think one of the things that you obviously have to take into account uh, now is, you know, how am I going to do it whilst looking after my staff? Um, you know, that was, that was certainly a, a big thing leading into it. Um, I don't see why it should be less of a thing coming out of it. Um, but yeah, def- definitely, you know, having people look harder at, at their businesses before they open and not just go, I'm going to open a taco joint and then the next week, you know, it's I'm going to open another burger joint in a city full of 400, you know, premium burger joints and, and so on, you know. Um, you know, looking at their businesses and go, what, what's going to make, what's going to make my product stand out? Um and, and so on what's what's the vibe that's going to go with it you know just creating um great total packages um you know you can th- you can think of of several uh ones um you know around the country that have just just nailed it you know um and you know you sort of look at them and go what 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 are they what have they done what have they done that that is just capturing uh you know the imagination of people um so hopefully we see uh, an improvement in the sector in, in that regard you know a little earlier you were saying about you know when the with the restaurant open but with the restrictions and the room not as full as you'd like it didn't feel like the restaurant normally feels and it didn't feel quite right you know but when it is full again and the restrictions are gone and you've got that bustling busy restaurant again you know how, how are you going to feel well, uh, there'll, there'll be a, a greater sense of relief. Um, you know, one, one thing that I've just never never been content with is that the next week will be as strong as the last week. Um, so it, it always forces me to, you know, to look into the next week or, you know, or the next fortnight even and go, yeah, but what if, what if it's, what if the trade's down? How are we going to get the trade 
to lift you know what are we going to do what are we going to do on social media what are we going to do you know to keep driving um the business further because i guess the one the one of the things that you know spurs me on and always has is the fear of failure um so you know if if i i feel if something fails it's because i just haven't done enough to to stop it from failing so what do you think is the way forward um for yourself with that with um that sort of pressure on yourself do you think that um your model might change to uh release that pressure and um just let the business be what it is (laughs) uh changing myself um (laughs) yeah um like i said this has been a, a bit of a reality check um I'd, I'd still like to be able to to return the business to um to what it was um so that if i was to make changes that it was on my terms and not on the terms of uh, a global pandemic um because you know there's a difference between doing it on your own terms and, and the feeling you would get from that versus you know, it's, it's no different to like a, a football player being dropped from a side versus a football player that, uh, you know, that reaches his peak and then chooses to retire. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to still choose to retire, but at least you go out on your terms and not on, um, you know, the terms of someone else. Well, mate, I very much look forward to uh, seeing your restaurant full at capacity again and bustling along as it does. Um, really appreciate you uh, sharing your story today. Uh, keep in touch and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Beautiful. Thanks for having me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>